This is the AuthorBiz Podcast with Stephen Campbell, session number 17. Welcome to the AuthorBiz Podcast. I'm Stephen Campbell, and each week I'll bring you interviews, information, and insights focused on the business of being an author. You can find the episode show notes, links to everything mentioned in the show, and lots more information at theauthorbiz.com. Greetings and welcome to The Author Biz, the Monday podcast focused on delivering actionable information to help you run your business as an author. Thanks so much for listening. I think you're really going to enjoy today's episode. I realize this may be hard for some of you to imagine, but there are some authors who are, for lack of a better word, uncomfortable with the idea of promoting themselves and their books. Actually, I'm joking, sort of. I know there are thousands of authors out there who would be thrilled if they could just write their books and then move on to the next one. But as we all know, that's not really possible anymore, if it ever was. Promoting your work is a big part of being an author in today's world. But there are many more ways of promoting yourself and your work than spamming people on Facebook and Twitter and asking them to buy your books. Today's guest, Seamus Award nominee Jaden Terrell, is a bit of an introvert, but she's developed her own unique style that served her very well. But the thing I'm most comfortable with is I call it promotion through service because uh-huh. <laughs> it's, I want at the end of the day to be able to say, if I never sold a single book as a result of this, I would still be glad I did it. You may have heard one of Jaden's two African gray parrots in the background during that clip. I love it when pets interject themselves into an interview. It adds an always welcome hint of nature to the conversation. As you'll hear in this discussion, I met Jaden at Sleuthfest earlier this year, and I was literally blown away by her new book, River of Glass. It's one of those mysteries that you put down and smile with kind of a self-satisfied look on your face because you know there are more books in the series and you can't wait to get to them. You'll hear Jaden discuss her promotion through service approach that has not only worked to gain attention for her books, it's also helped her to land an agent, which led directly to her publishing deal with the Permanent Press. This session of The Author Biz is brought to you by Bluehost, the perfect place to host your domain on an easy-to-set-up and simple-to-manage WordPress-based author website. If you're going to be serious about running your business as an author, you need your own home base on the Internet, which is your website. And a home base is something you want to own, not rent. When you're serious, you want your own domain on your own hosting site. Sure, if you're experimenting or if writing is just your hobby, then one of those free sites on someone else's platform will work well for you. But when you decide to get serious, it's time for your own domain. I know, it may seem confusing and expensive, but it's not. Bluehost makes it easy. And if you use the link you'll find at theauthorbiz.com slash Bluehost, you'll be able to get your own website and a free domain registration, all from only $3.95 a month. That's a special price that's available through the link you can find at theauthorbiz.com slash Bluehost. Now let's get on with this week's interview. My guest today is Jaden Terrell, the Seamus Award-nominated author of the Jared McKean Mystery Series. The third book in the series, River of Glass, was released last week. Jaden is also the executive director for the regional mystery group Killer Nashville, 
They're the host of the Killer Nashville Crime Fiction Conference that's held each August, not surprisingly, in Nashville, Tennessee. Jaden is one of the organizers for that conference. She's also a member of Mystery Writers of America, Private Eye Writers of America, Sisters in Crime, and the Tennessee Writers Alliance, as well as a graduate of Citizen Police Academy and the joint FBI-TBI Citizen Academy. Whew! Jaden, welcome to the author biz. Thank you, Steve. You stay pretty busy. I do stay busy. So you have a new book. You have a new book that just came out over the weekend called River of Glass. I had the opportunity to read an arc for the book, and it is fabulous. I absolutely love the book. I've already recommended it to friends. And I'm going to go back and read your entire three-book series featuring Jared McKean. So first off, Tell us about River of Glass, and then we'll talk a little bit about uh, Jared McKean. And I apologize in advance if I say Jaden instead of Jared at some point, because I, I get confused just even thinking about it. Everybody does that. I get emails from my publisher to Jaden, so to Jared. To oh, really? Yeah. Do you forward Pretty them funny. along? I always tell him about them. And and he and I are really grateful for the plug for the book. <laughs> we were happy that you liked it. River of Glass is the third in the series, um, and in it, it begins a little differently than the other ones because they're always first-person PI novels, and this one has several seeds from the perspective of a young woman who has been taken and is being held by human traffickers. So when the book opens, we know a little bit about the plight this woman is in, but Jared, of course, has no idea. So in this book, he's approached by his former homicide partner who asked him to come down, identify the body of an Asian woman who's been found in the dumpster behind his office. And in her hand, she has a photograph from the Vietnam era, the picture of Jared's father with another family. And Jared spent his whole life trying to live up to his dad, who is a war hero and who died as a police officer in a very heroic way. And to find out that his dad had this whole other secret life, it's kind of throws him for a loop. An Asian woman shows up on the doorstep of his office and begs for his help to rescue her daughter, find and rescue her daughter who's been taken by human traffickers. And this woman claims to be the half-sister he never knew he had. So this book follows that journey of not only trying to find this young woman and rescue her, but of these two people who would really just assume each other didn't exist, find a way to work together and and become something more and fill their each other's empty spaces in a way. It was a great concept for a story, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> Thank you. I will admit to being a little jarred by the beginning. And you, you warned me that it was uh, a little dark, and the beginning is a little dark. And, yeah. uh, but it's a really, it's a, it, it's just a classic PI novel and it's a really, really good one. Thank you. Uh, I always felt it was really important that the reader understand what is at stake here before the investigation starts. Because investigating this sort of thing, it, it, there's a lot of possible dead ends. It, everybody in the world is a possible suspect. And so I think that you need to know why it matters so much to be taking on such a, a daunting task. Now, are all of your books this way? Are they all multiple points of view? Because this is really just two points of view. There's 
there's the young lady that yes. uh, that were in her head, and then there's uh, Jared. Uh, are they are they all like that, or have, nope. have the prior books been just first person? They've all been first person. This one just seemed to need something a little bit different. Did you originally write it that way, or did you change it? No, I added those parts in later because it they seemed. It seemed like you really needed that other perspective in this particular story. That's interesting. I'm, I'm going through, I'm, I'm writing something now, and I keep thinking I need to add a second point of view, and I need to just go back and stick it in. But I thought, yeah. that, that's not, that's completely unprofessional. I shouldn't do that. No, no. I, I, I read a couple of books by Jonathan Kellerman that uh-huh. did that, and I've read a few other ones that did it really successfully. And I've read it both ways. Sometimes it works really well, and sometimes it's really jarring, and, and so I I was hoping I would be able to pull it off, uh, but it, but the book just cried out for it. Now I want to I want to tell people, listeners, how you and I met. Um, I was at Sleuth Fest last year, and I ran into Aline Cogdell, who's been a guest on this show, and is a friend. And I asked her if there was anyone at the conference that that I should talk to that I might not know. And the first person she pointed to was you, and so I quickly raced up to you, and and we started chatting. And uh, you, you gave me a couple of your books, and we've actually been talking about doing this interview for quite some time, and we wanted to time it with the release of River of Glass. And I say that as as a way of introducing the idea of conferences. And obviously, from the introduction I did for you, you do a lot of conferences, you organize conferences, you travel around, you do this stuff. Um, has this always been a part of your process I've always loved conferences because I'm I'm just an information hog. I, I love to learn more and more about craft, and I also like to hang out with writers uh-huh. and find out what their processes are. And conferences are an incredible way to do that. It, it, you get to to meet authors. You get to at all levels and all areas of the spectrum. You get to meet publishing professionals, and you learn so so much. I, there, there's nothing like because you're very intensely involved that weekend, and then you go home and you're just you're exhausted, but you're so excited to get back to your manuscript. Now, are you someone that naturally thrives in a in an environment where there are a lot of people, or you you mentioned being <laughs> exhausted? Is that something that's that's actual? It's fun, but it's work to to it's, go out and do that. It's fun, but it's work. Uh, I've I've heard this definition of extroverts are people who are energized by hanging out with a lot of people and introverts are people who they may still like to be with a lot of people, but they have to get off by themselves to recharge. And, and I'm an introvert in that sense. I I love to meet people and to talk to people, but it's, it's work to do it. And so I have to go back and recharge my batteries afterwards. So the, the concept or not the concept, the topic of this show is, is basically going to be, Marketing and promotion for people that don't like marketing promotion, marketing and promotion. So I'm guessing because of, you know, we've talked before, marketing and promotion is not something that you really embrace. It's really necessary, but it's the hardest part for me. And why? Why is it? I I know why it's necessary, and I'm assuming that everyone knows why it's necessary. (laughs) But why is it so difficult? For some people, it's second nature. For others, it's horrifying. I think, I think probably for most, it's horrifying. <laughs> I think that's true, too. But I think there's a couple of things that work. It's Part of it is we're taught from the time we're very young that it is rude to brag about yourself. 
And we also have this perception of sales as something where you're trying to, to make somebody buy something they don't want. And, and you have to really get away from that idea because that's not really what it is. It's just letting people know that there's something they might be interested in because otherwise they'll never find you. Uh, and, and I think the other thing is you should, there's that fear of rejection. Maybe I won't do it well. Maybe I'm going to make a fool of myself. Maybe I'm going to come across as this spammy, buy my book, buy my book, buy my book person. <laughs> it's going to be very off-putting. And, and you don't want to do that because it's, it's not only it puts you in a bad light, but it's also not serving your readers and it's not serving your book. So I think there's that the fear that we're just not going to do it right. And we, we will present ourselves as, as worse people than we hope we are. (laughs) (laughs) Is that what it is for you? Is that, is that what it was for you? Just the the whole concept of, yeah, I I, I just find the whole thing a little smarmy and I I just don't want to be seen as one of those people. Possibly. Although, you know, salespeople that I know are really terrific people and they do it well. It's very natural to them. I I could give things away all day long, but it's just really hard for me to, to, to sell them. I always think, well, if they really needed this, why am I not giving it to them? (laughs) 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 Then there's this whole idea, well, you would like to have be able to stay home and write and you have to make a living somehow. Yeah. You did somehow spend a lot of time putting this all together. You put all the words on paper and somehow made sure that they made logical sense. There was some time involved. So I guess it'd be okay to get paid something for that. Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I think you just want people to accidentally discover you, tell you that it's wonderful and then throw money at you so you can go home and write some more. And do you have, (laughs) do you have examples of people uh, for whom that has worked? No, no, <laughs> and that is why we must embrace marketing. <laughs> but, so but, how how have you, as a person who is uncomfortable with the idea of marketing promotion, dealing with the need to do it? Well, one of the things that I try to do is look at people who do it really well in a way that is so not smarmy, like that is very natural for and very nurturing for it. You talked about Hank Philippi Ryan. Mm-hmm. She is the most natural, generous, wonderful, giving person imaginable. And she gets on all these social media sites, and she's just that person. And, of course, everybody wants to flock to her. And there's nothing at all smarmy about it because it's so authentic and genuine, and she does such good books. But it, it all I, – I know she puts a ton of work into it, but it all seems very real and authentic and natural. And so I try to look and say, all right, what are people like that doing that I can emulate? But the thing I'm most comfortable with is I call it promotion through service because uh-huh. it's, I want at the end of the day to be able to say, if I never sold a single book as a result of this, I would still be glad I did it. And working with Killer Nashville is one of those things, any kind of volunteer work, uh, um, work with our local chapter of Sisters in Crime, as president, I'm, I'm the currently the Southeastern Mystery Writers of America chapter president. And I don't have any trouble at all talking to people in the service of some kind of greater good like that. And so if I feel like it's a way of getting my name out there, yes, but it's something I would do anyway because I just feel like it's a good thing to do that 
that gives service to everybody. And that makes a lot of sense. Let me let me first tell less. <laughs> let me jump in here and tell listeners that you don't have a bird on your shoulder. You have a chair that squeaks a little bit. So what's well, what's coming through? It sounds like a bird to me, but well, I know actually, it's not. I know it's a chair. It might be a bird, actually, because oh, I, have, okay. <laughs> I have two African gray parrots, and they're in the next room, but, uh-huh. but they uh, like to imitate sounds, and they, they're getting a little bit noisy right now because they just got their breakfast. Oh, okay. <laughs> so. All right. Well, I just thought it was a really squeaky chair. Maybe it really is bird. So that adds a little uh, sense of adventure <laughs> to yes. the conversation today. We so, have- So the idea of... Promotion through service makes a lot of sense. And I've heard other people say that if you're terrified of going to a conference and putting yourself out there, volunteer. Is that what you did? I volunteered because, because, well, I I just sort of have a heart. I have a heart for service. Uh And I met Clay, who is the founder of Killer Nashville, while I was helping with a, a Mr. Writers of America skill build. And he said, oh, I need some help with this conference. And he had such a wonderful vision for it and how he wanted to help writers find publishers and, and readers find authors and this wonderful network, synergistic network. It was such a great vision. And we really hit it off. And it, it was such good work that I just wanted to be a part of it. Uh, I would suggest that people who are very shy who go to conferences find somebody who looks kind of scared like you are. <laughs> Which is and not hard to do. It's not hard to do because I think a lot of us feel that way. Mm-hmm. But it's always easier for me to strike up a conversation if I feel like, you know, that person's uncomfortable. What can I do to make them feel better? And in welcoming them and trying to help them feel more comfortable, I end up doing the same thing for myself. That's a great suggestion. I think we all go to these conferences and we think everybody else is, knows what they're doing and I'm just here pretending to be a grown-up. <laughs> and every, everybody else knows everyone else. I'm the only one here that only knows two people and I don't see either of them right now. So I'm going right. to stand back here in the corner of the room and hope no one looks at me. Right. Yeah, and and that's – I guess there's something to be said for acclimating yourself by watching, but you really – they're not scary people once you get to know them and they're probably secretly all thinking the same thing. And, and I think if, if we do hang back like that, we end up missing a lot of really good opportunities. I've got a story about that. Are you familiar with Stephen Womack? I don't recognize his name, but I bet if I saw it, (laughs) I would, I would recognize it. He's a wonderful writer. He he, uh, has a series detective series set in Nashville that, that is just, wonderful years after that series has ended people still will say you know who i really like i like that stephen womack guy Hmm. he's got some new books out now but before i had this series published i was still aspiring to be a writer and i i saw steve at a bookstore and he had his books there and i'd already bought a copy of the book and he had nobody at his table and i so badly wanted to go up and talk to him because he was like my idol my hero Uh uh-huh and my husband said, Beth, why don't you just go up and talk to him? He, I'm sure he'd love to talk to you. And I said, oh, 
I've already bought his book and I have any money with me right now. I can't, I can't buy anything from him. And he probably is so sick of hearing from people. Oh, I love your books. I love your work. He doesn't want to talk to me. Well, of course, later I realized he totally wanted to talk to me. And now, now we laugh about that event. He and I are good friends now, but think about how I could have met him so much earlier and had a wonderful experience. And, and we could have been friends years earlier if I hadn't been so shy. That's that's a really interesting point. I have a similar story. Um, I, I was uh, when we had a Borders, and that was a books a million. It was a books a million that we had in town. Yeah. And um, I went in, and there was an author signing, and there was no one there. There's just a stack of books. Yes. And I, my first inclination was don't even make eye contact. Yeah. And you know, run away quick, like you're at a trade show and you don't want the salesman to call on you. But I couldn't do it. I just have such a love for authors in general. I just walked up and introduced myself and said, "Tell me about your book." And she did. Uh, it turned out to be a book that was right up my alley. I really enjoyed it. I she she did something that was really clever. She wrote down my name. And uh, got my email address, but she's never sent me an email. What she did was to send a postcard then every time, a handwritten postcard, every time she has a new book coming out, which I thought was so clever. And, of course, you get a handwritten postcard from an author saying, I have a new book coming out. You're going to go buy the book. And. And I, I met her, chatted with her. I have since interviewed her on uh, not this show, but another show that I that I used to do. And we've become friends and all because I went up and because I was talking with her, other people suddenly were willing to stand in line to listen. And suddenly there was a crowd. Yes, that's so important. It's like priming the pump. Nobody wants to be the first person to go and talk to the author. And I think we're always afraid. Well, what if I don't like this book or what if it's not my style or what if I can't afford to buy it? I don't want to get their hopes up. But really, they we like to talk. To people, to readers. Yes, and I think in in most cases, if an author is at a bookstore, they're not there to sell books. They're there to meet people and and to meet potential readers and to meet the people at the bookstore. And if if you go up and introduce yourself and chat with them and find out about the book, they would be thrilled to talk to you. And and you'll be doing them a, a favor by doing that because then other people will do it. And who knows, you might just really like the books. Right, and we all understand the idea of going out and maybe you don't get paid till next Friday or, or something like that. Mm -hmm. Even if you really want it, this might not be your day to buy it, but we'd still like to talk to you because we might have something to offer each other, even if it's just a few pleasant moments. Yeah. And and maybe, maybe you only read on a Kindle or a Nook and, uh, but you can still find out about the book and race home and order it that way and uh, maybe pay a little bit less money, but read the way you like to read, but you just don't get an autographed copy that way. Well, that's true. The autograph is is nice to have that personal touch. I I think now that, I think in the past, people always had wanted a gracious way to say, well, no thanks, it's not for me. (laughs) (laughs) Where it may be a great book, but it's not for me. Whereas now that the whole ebook gives you the perfect opportunity, you can go up, you can chat with the author, and then it's like, you know, I'm going to go home and check this out on my Kindle, or I'm going to check it on my Nook. And, And you have a really gracious way of, not buying it at that moment. That's that's a great point. And it's an it's it's interesting the way that you have used this technique in effect <laughs> to 
involve yourself in things that might otherwise make you feel uncomfortable, like these conferences and, and the things that you're doing. It's just this technique of kind of gracefully going in and introducing yourself into a situation that benefits multiple people and just letting the chips fall where they may. Right. I think that if we just always look at it as every interaction is an opportunity for both people to get something out of it and what can I do to make that other person feel more comfortable and make sure that they get something out of it, then then it takes that all that, a lot of pressure off yourself and, and a lot of attention off yourself because when it's very easy to get into this, Oh, I don't have the right shoes. I don't look at, Oh, my hair is frizzy today. People aren't going to want to talk to me. What if I say something wrong? You stop thinking about myself and try to think about the other person and what I can bring to them. That's a great way to deal with people in general. It's an extremely good way to, to deal with people and to think about dealing people with, with people at these conferences because we're all uncomfortable. I, I talked to, um, as, as I mentioned, Hank Philippi Ryan. Uh, a, a few weeks ago, and she, she's a monster at these conferences. <laughs> she goes to all of them, and she's brilliant. Yes, she's she funny. Is. She's charming. She has the biggest smile of any yeah. woman that I've ever seen. And I ask her, you know, how do you do it? She says, "It's." She said, "If you ever see me standing by myself at the conference, please come up because I'm terrified and I just want someone to talk to." <laughs> And that's Hank Phillippe Ryan. We are all that way. We are. And it's important to remember that because the most confident person is sometimes not confident. And, and you know, if they're busy, they'll tell you. Yes. And, and, she, know, is, I, and she is busy, but she, she has time for everyone. And I, I think most people at these things are like that. There are probably some people that that aren't, but I haven't met them. No, I haven't either. The community of writers, and the one I'm most familiar with is mystery writers, but Mm -hmm. it's an incredibly welcoming and generous community of people who are very approachable and they are ready to share advice and and to get advice. And it's such a warm and friendly community that, that I know it's scary from the outside if you haven't been a part of it before, but nobody, nobody bites. Uh, okay, so you, so you met Clay, and what what's Clay's yes. last name? Stafford. Clay okay, Stafford. so you met Clay, who yes. is uh, behind Killer Nashville, and you got involved. What was it like the first time to get involved and to sort of be out there at at a conference? What was it like for you? Well, the first time was really easy because it, it, I learned about it so close to the conference that. I just helped with the registration desk a little bit. It was very easy, and they didn't have enough people there to do that, and so it was just going in and pitching in and doing what needed to be done. It was, that was very, very comfortable. And um, I was actually on a panel at that one, which was a little bit scarier. <laughs> Tell me about that. <laughs> Tell me about that. Was that your first panel? No, I've been on a few. Panels are good, especially if somebody's asking you questions, mm-hmm. because you don't have to think about what, to say they ask you something and, and since it's about your book you you usually know what the answer is and you try to keep that same thing in your head what did the audience come here to hear and so if, if that panel is about dialogue you know that you want to try to give them useful information about how to write dialogue so I like those because I don't feel like what do I ha- what am I going to say 
what, are, what am I going to talk about that they're going to be interested in? I know what they're interested in hearing about because that's what mm-hmm. they came to that panel. Uh, so that that wasn't wasn't too bad, but it just was was a little bit scary. I had to read a little bit from the book out loud, and uh-huh. that that was scary. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because you spend so much time on it, and you want it to be good, and and yet as writers, I don't think we ever really know if it's good or not. So you just know it's the best it's the best thing I could do. And here it's one thing; it, it's scary enough if you know somebody is reading it at home. <laughs> Maybe not liking it, mm-hmm. but if they're right in front of you and they don't like it, it's like, oh, what am I going to do? <laughs> but it went well, and people did seem to like it, so that was good. You know, a lot of this is always about trying to go a little bit farther out of your comfort zone. Right, and and then your comfort zone expands. So yes, the next time does. you do it, you go a little further and a little further, and eventually you're the next Hank Philippi Ryan at these conferences. Right. <laughs> well, nobody can match Hank, but <laughs> we can aspire. <laughs> so what what things have you done that have worked particularly well for you at, at conferences? Uh, well, being on panels is always helpful. If you can remember to stick to the topic and not get off on a tangent that's very interesting to you, but that your audience didn't come out to hear. Mm-hmm. So, so that's always good because if you said something that resonates with somebody, then even if they don't buy a book that day, they often will remember you and check it out later. Or if they, your name pops up again, you go, Oh, I heard her at a conference and, and she said this, which really helped me out. So I think that in the long term that helps a lot, but if you can't get a panel and sometimes you can't, uh, I think also Another good thing is just being really open and friendly to everybody because the more people you meet and the more they that you're seen as a real helpful person who's just not out to sell my book, sell my book, mm-hmm. the more you, you meet people who you're generally, genuinely able to help each other. And that's really the only thing it's just making constantly making good connections with people that you're really going to care about and that's real i know that's not a, a very step-by-step here's no you no but it, it, it it's a it's a good genuine answer and it, it's not complicated it, it, it it's like you said earlier if you put the thoughts and needs of, of the other person first uh, becomes much easier to communicate with people and and by default, they tend to like you if you're like that. Well, if you like them, they'll tend to, they t- tend to like you. And mm-hmm. the thing about conferences is, is I, you learn so much at them. I always go with this idea of what can I learn about making this book better or the next book better? And you automatically have something to talk about to the people that you meet because you're all there for the same thing. And you mm-hmm. can talk about the, the panel that you just went to and, about conferences is you get so much out of them even if you never talked to anybody you'd still get a lot out of it but then when you're all sharing this wonderful experience it gets even better and becomes very symbiotic everybody helps everybody else now is killer nashville i've I've 
I have not been to a killer Nashville yet. I'm I'm hoping to come next August. So I if, hope you will come, but it won't be in August. It will be. It's actually Halloween weekend next year. Really? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, <laughs> <I've>, <laughs> okay. It's I take been, back what I said in the intro that said it's every August. <laughs> it's, it has been every August for nine years, but this tenth tenth year we're going to do it on Halloween weekend because that's when we could get the hotel. Okay. And uh, Boucher comes somewhere, well, in the southeast anyway next year. So the southeast is, is going to be a hotbed for mystery conferences next yes. year. It's going to be in Raleigh-Durham next year. Yes, so I'm hoping to get to both of those. But anyway, Killer Nashville, is it a writers-only conference, a writers and readers conference? What's the goal of the conference and, and who attends? It, it's a writers and readers conference. It's primarily geared toward writers uh, the vision of it is to bring together writers, readers, and publishing professionals. So if you have aspiring writers, it's a great place to go to learn to, to hone your craft and to meet agents and editors. For published writers, it would be a good way to meet readers and to network with each other and to learn more about marketing. And for readers, it's a good place to go and meet authors. And we have this amazing forensic track that anybody who likes CSI or anything like that should want to go to because we have TBI agents, homicide detectives, FBI agents, hostage negotiators. We've had forensic psychologists. And the TBI actually sets up a mock crime scene like the ones they used to Oh, train. how cool. <laughs> and the attendees can go and look at all the clues and they fill out a form if they want to. And whoever comes the closest to saying what happened and how they would figure it out, what tests they would run, and how they would conduct the investigation, whoever does the best job of that gets a free registration to the next year's conference. Oh, it's, nice. It's a lot of fun. Okay, so you, you mentioned a lot of things there. Um, yeah. I, I want to dig in a little bit deeper into a couple of them. Okay. Uh, you mentioned the idea of meeting editors and publishers and things like that. Your books have... This particular series started uh, with Permanent Press in 2012. Did you meet them? How, how did you become connected with them and your editor, et cetera, et cetera? Is there some fabulous story here you can tell us from going to a conference? or I, I met my agent at the conference okay. in Nashville. She had taken some time off uh, to raise her little boy, and he was getting ready to go to kindergarten, and she uh, was ready to get back into agenting and so she sent me an email and said i had love to come to killer nashville would you be interested yeah i picked her up at the airport and i don't i try not to pitch my stuff too much at the time i was looking for an agent now come on you're not going to tell me that you picked an agent up at the airport and you didn't pitch her on your book i did not pitch her on the book because (laughs) because i was wearing my killer nashville hat which remember is all about service Uh, okay so so we got to know each other over the weekend, and what happens is normally if they're interested at all in what you do, I mean, it'll come up, right. and, and they'll ask you about it, and there's an opportunity. And Clay, of course, is, is looking out for me, so he told her that mm-hmm. this book was really good. And so when I took her back to the airport, she asked me about it. She liked what she heard, and she actually sold the second book first. The first one was out with a really, really small Micropress. Okay. And had originally been self-published. A friend of mine self-published it through iUniverse as a as a gift 
to me. Mm-hmm. So it was it was drastically a different book by the time the permanent press got a hold of it, and it was completely re-edited and and. Th- but what happened was she sold that second book first, and then they read the first one. And like, we really like this one too, and so I always say that's my first book and my third book. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that explains why they both came out so close together. Right. The second book. Some one of the reviews said something about it. You know, it shouldn't have been so rushed out. And I was like, well, it took me five years to write it. <laughs> it was. It was not rushed. <laughs> So, yeah, that's why they all came out at the same time, because they bought the second one, and then when they realized they wanted the first one as well, they pushed the date of the second one back and released the first one first. And how long did it take you from the time, from the point where you met your agent at Killer Nashville through your idea of, of service as uh, a form of promotion uh, in, until you got the deal with Permanent Press? We, let's see, I think that this happened in 2010. I signed with her in March and we had a deal with Marty in just a couple of months. Wow. I think, I think we signed in like April or May of that year, but then it was 2012 before they came out. Of course. That's a, it's, a path. <laughs> it's definitely a path. <laughs> and I love them. They're, they're just terrific people. There are some phenomenal. I saw you, you, in the acknowledgments of the book that I read, you thank some some permanent press authors. One uh, was uh, Chris Knopf. Do I have the name right? Yes, Chris Knopf. I love his books. I and, do too. Um, you know, there, there were others that you mentioned whose books I really like. So um, they're, they obviously do a great job of, of picking authors, and uh, what a great place to land. It was. It, it was really the perfect place for me. You know, if you get with one of those big six publishers, you have about six weeks, and if you have not made it in six weeks, you're you're gone. But Marty, Marty and Judy are the two people who run Permanent Press. They own it, and they work on it together. They do the editing together. And if they don't both like it, they don't take your book. And they're just terrific people. And if they're behind your book, they're behind it 100%. And Marty takes out ads, and he sends out letters and, and emails, and he really pushes his authors. And he said something to me that I, I, I would be stunned if a lot of publisher say this he said i hope you sell a million copies but even if you don't sell one i will still be really proud and glad that we published this book wow <laughs> and uh, how could you ask for anything better you're right and uh, you you and i talked during a pre-interview session about the idea of uh, being published through a small press and the pressure that comes with, with being, you know, you just mentioned the pressure and the, the, the short time frame you have when you're published by a big, a big six publisher. Um, right. It seems like a completely different world. I, I've met so many authors who are published by smaller, smaller presses. There are certainly things that you don't get by right. being published by a smaller press, but you're not on that treadmill where you've just got to be so crazy hyperactive for that six week period where you're holding your breath, hoping that everything worked. And, uh, you know, your next contract is relying on how well this particular book does. It's, it's a lot of pressure. And I, I, I talk to people and it just seems almost debilitating at times. I think it is a lot of pressure. I think there's different pressures for each path that you take. But that one of, of not knowing whether or not your book is going to take off. And the thing is, you don't even know once the books are sold, 
because this happened to an author that I know that because of the return system, you can think you've sold mm-hmm. a million books, and then six months later, they all pour back in, which is devastating. Ouch. Devastating. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, sometimes they don't even get out of, out of the warehouse completely. If there's like if there's an economic crisis, the bookstores might take these and just kind of hold on to them for a while, not even put them on the shelves, and then send them back later. It's it's really a scary prospect sometimes. It's an uncertain, it's definitely an uncertain career. Now, do your books, uh, I, I, I know I've seen Chris's books in the library because I look for them. Um, do your books wind up in libraries? Sometimes. Uh, I, I hope that they're in more, uh, you know, I like to see more and more libraries, but library market is one of our big markets. And okay. Our publisher always always markets really well to libraries, and I know he sends a lot of advanced review copies to them. So that's one of our big markets because because they only print they print hardback. There's no paperback, uh, and then they do the electronic books. Right, and I it it seems like there are some small press publishers that really do focus on the library market because if if they buy a lot of copies of books, they buy a lot of copies of books, and there's no returns, which is a really that, that's important. a wonderful thing. Yes. <laughs> So uh, when you sell a book to a library, you know that it's been sold, and you have to worry about it coming back later. So one of the things that you don't get uh, a lot of from a small press publisher is a big press campaign or something like that. So a lot more of the promotional work falls to the author. I had had as guests uh, the publishers or the, the, the people that run Ocean View Publishing, Mm-hmm. And they talked about how important it was that the author understand uh, that they were a part of the promotional machine. It wasn't just write the book and go away and right. you know start working on the next book. Um, so what you do is you, you use this service-based mode of promoting yourself and promoting your books. Are there other things that you do as well? I, I There are other things I do. I don't know that I do them very well. <laughs> It's a learning curve. It's a learning mm-hmm. process. Uh, I have a Facebook page, and I have a Twitter account, and I try I try to to just tweet things or post things that are going to be useful to people. And then then if I'm having a signing or something, then I will of course tweet or or post that. But I try to to make a good mix. Okay, you you mentioned signings. There's yeah. a um, do you have a lot of good bookstores in Nashville? We have several good bookstores. Uh, we have Parnassus, which is Ann Padgett's bookstore. That, lovely, I keep reading about that, and that just sounds like a fabulous place. It is a lovely little independent bookstore. Terrific. Wonderful people. They uh, just recently finished carrying the books for the Southern Festival of Books, which is an event they have every October here. Mm-hmm. And then we have Bookman, Bookwoman, which is used and new books. We have several Barnes and Nobles is a, a one of Cool Springs that's been really good to me. Have uh, Books a Millions, few of those. Not as many independent bookstores as we'd like, but mm-hmm. the ones we have are really good. And there's a wonderful one that's getting ready to close with Mysteries and More with the Greg and Mary Burrus that have really served the author community wonderfully. But they are getting ready to retire and we are going to really miss them. Oh, that's a shame. I, I, I love those mystery-themed bookstores. There's just something special about them. Yes, and this one was fabulous. 
All right. I've got to ask a question. I mentioned something in the beginning, and then you alluded to it when you talked about um, what, what you did at the conferences. But the idea of the Citizen Police Academy oh. and the um, the FBI, I think it's FBI, TBI, Citizen Academy. Tell me about those and tell me how they've helped you. Well, it's really important that I learn a lot about forensics and police procedure, because even though I'm not writing a police procedural, Jared is a former homicide detective, and I have no background in that. I am a former special education teacher, <laughs> so, and I've had very little little uh, interaction with police other than stop, you know, stop and ask directions or, or get a speeding ticket or something like that. So I really needed to know not only what they do, but but what their mindset is. So I did a lot of interviews with police officers, and one of them told me about the Citizen Academy. And then I heard from another author about the, the FBI TBI Academy. And then I went to a separate TBI Academy. And then I also spent a weekend at a an incredible conference called Writers Police Academy run by Lee Laughlin, which is very hands-on. So it was really important for me to learn these things. But they're fascinating. You, you get not only lectures from people who are doing the, the in charge of the different facets of police work, uh, but you really get to do hands-on things. So you get to, to try taking fingerprints, testing for fingerprints, which I will tell you I'm really bad at. So <laughs> never going to be a fingerprint person. You get to uh, to hear a talk by the somebody who works on the bomb, bomb squad and feel how heavy the, you, the protective gear is. You get to uh, learn learn how to get out of handcuffs, <laughs> or actually learn how you can't get out of handcuffs. Because <laughs> you learn how to handcuff people. Uh, there's a there's a really interesting talk about gangs. Just everything you could imagine about police work. You hear about it. You meet the people who do it and get to ask them questions. And then you get to try some of it yourself. I went on a ride along as a part of the Citizen Police Academy. That was a really fascinating day. So I've been on a few of those. It just really gives you a chance to not only learn about the techniques that are done, to try some of them yourself and to to talk really authentically with the people who actually do this for a living. Now, when you went through this process, was it all in Nashville, like the Nashville Police Department or whatever the, the correct name for the, the department is there? The Writers Police Academy is in Greensboro, North Carolina, the, and that's a conference. The okay. other ones are the – I went to the Metro Nashville Citizen Police Academy and the FBI Academy because we have a headquarters just a couple of blocks from my house. I went there. Oh. And then the TBI Academy is just across town, uh, not very far, and so they're all really close. Do you know, do do they offer these around the country? Does the FBI offer them around the country? Do local they, police departments in general offer things like this? They do. They do. You have to apply. Some of them you actually have to be referred by someone who's taken it before. But if you contact that law enforcement agency, they can probably tell you how to apply for it. And, of course, they do background checks and, mm-hmm. and everything else. But it's it's a really wonderful supportive environment usually it's six weeks or so and you go once once a week usually in the evening because people have to work around their work schedules and it's just several hours once a week for about six weeks and then a lot of times at the end there's a a certificate uh sometimes they'll have a day at the shooting range so i got 
uh, TBI has this incredible collection of historic weapons and all different. So I had to try, go and, and shoot handguns hand and and sniper rifles, and then I got to shoot a Tommy gun from the 1930s, which was how <laughs> <laughs> <That was> neat. It's <laughs> <was> very neat. <laughs> I haven't even heard the term Tommy gun in years. <laughs> well, you don't see them very often. <laughs> Just in old movies. Just in old movies. And I will tell you, you can't really aim one. <laughs> <laughs> Just kind of point it in the direction, and then you just pull the trigger, and it just keeps going up, up, up. (laughs) (laughs) And in the old movies, they're always there, and there's just this grimace on their face as they're pulling the trigger. Although they're they're holding the gun straight, it's it's so funny every time every time I see that. So I can just picture you doing that with a grimace on your face. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably this look of startlement because they they're all different. They all feel a little different. They all kick a little differently, and. the Tommy gun is is it's a powerful weapon. And you, of course, you got to be careful with it. But I can see why you'd be grimacing. I think I had that look of like half, <laughs> half awe and half part and like a quarter eagerness and a quarter terror. It's like <laughs> so, Jaden, what have you got coming up to promote the book? I have a, a signing at Parnassus on November 11th, and and I have a, a talk for Sisters in Crime about human trafficking, which is a, a big theme in the book. Um, I'm going to be launching uh, a new blog, which isn't so much for this book in general, but uh, particular, but my books in general, where I'm going to feature a different author every week. Okay. Uh, and just tell a little bit about my experiences with their books. And Oh, how I interesting. People, I think people will, will like that, and it, it, will, it will be a way of, Boosting fellow authors and that I whose books I love. Well, I'm I'm going I'm going to link up to the things that that we've talked about in here. Uh, your website address is that the best way for people to reach you, Jaden Terrell Terrell. I'm sorry, Jaden Terrell dot com. J a d e n t e r r e l l dot com. Yes, it is. Or you can look Jaden Terrell up on Facebook uh, and have an author page there. And you've got a Twitter page, which is. At Jaden Terrell. Okay, I will also link to um, I, I'll link to your Amazon sales page so that people can just click through and buy the book there. Thank I you. highly recommend this book, and uh, Jaden, this has been a lot of fun. <laughs> I, yes. I wish you all the best with this, and I can't wait to see you in person again. Thank you, Steve. I really appreciate you having me on the show, and I look forward to seeing you too. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. If you'd like to find out more about the podcast, including past episodes, you can visit the website at www.theauthorbiz.com. You can also subscribe to the podcast at iTunes. If you have comments or suggestions for the show, you can leave them at the site or you can ping me on Twitter. I'm at Steve Campbell FL. Please join us again next week for another informative episode. 